Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. And special shout out to my good friend, Yoshiko Dart. Yoshiko, hope you're doing great. Um, And thank you to my sponsors, Highmark. Great lead sponsor, AudioEye, another great company, and Covestro, right here from my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So I'm very excited about our guest today, and as you all know, I'm a woman living with epilepsy, but you also know my whole life is a crusade for the employment of people with disabilities. And one of the reasons I'm so excited about this show is that, you know, we need to raise the awareness because this is a group, all people with disabilities, as you know, have a hard time gaining employment, but even more with people with intellectual disabilities. And that's why I want to get the news out. So today we have an advocate She has dedicated her life to improving the lives of people living with Down syndrome in many areas, research, medical care, education, and advocacy. So we are delighted to have as our guest today the president and CEO co-founder of Global Down Syndrome Foundation, Michelle Witten. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Joyce. I'm very excited. Well, let's start for people that don't know a lot about you. How did you first become involved? Why did you become involved in advocacy for people living with Down syndrome? Well, like most things, it's a personal story. And uh, 14 years ago, uh, I was pregnant with my first child, and I had uh, an amnio. Uh, that told me my child would have Down syndrome. And that experience was pretty horrific from really being given all sorts of bad information. Your baby's going to die by three. Everybody terminates. You should terminate two. Uh, of course, and then getting that diagnosis and, you know, not knowing what it means and being afraid of it, you know, it's kind of an emotional roller coaster besides being like, you know, pregnant. And um, so my husband and I, you know, for the record, we always say this, you know, we're pro-choice. Our choice was to keep Sophia. Uh, Fast forward to today with the Global Down Syndrome Foundation, we're not pro-choice, we're not pro-life, we're pro-information. And we just never looked back. However, I did discover while I was pregnant that Down syndrome is uh, and was at the time the least funded genetic condition by the National Institutes of Health. And that started this whole journey of finding out why are people with Down syndrome so discriminated against, and then me and my family coming together and saying, what are we going to do about it? And that's kind of how it all started. You know what? So that's what I always say about people. Things happen, and what really determines your character is what you do afterwards. So look what's happened. Here you are helping all these people so you know, kudos to you, Michelle, for having that uh, attitude. Just, just to make a comment about what you just said, um, it, I'm sure you were startled when you found that out, that this group, you know, is receiving the less, least funds. Why do you think that was? What, what did you find out when you checked into that? Well, I think there, there are, you know, many different reasons. Uh, you know, on, on the one hand, we try not to look backwards and we try only to look forwards, but sometimes you do need to reflect. I think the optimistic rationale is that, you know, people with Down syndrome, we're doing pretty well. Uh, the lifespan of people with Down syndrome had almost doubled uh, from the 1980s when it was 28 to the time Sophia, my daughter, was born in uh, 2003. And the reason, of course, was because the deinstitutionalization um, process that went on, uh, the majority of our kids were put in institutions. They got no medical care. I mean, people who remember Willowbrook know that they didn't even get plumbing. And so they died very young and tragic deaths. And so 
by allowing them to live at home, go to their public school, allowed to go to a movie theater or a restaurant. I mean, some people forget in this country, people weren't even allowed out in public uh, who had any kind of, you know, people we call differently abled or some people call having intellectual and developmental disabilities. So that's kind of the the more rosy, like they're doing well, they don't need it much more. The the more kind of uh, pessimistic view is that uh, there's, there were some scientists, some doctors, some people in society who felt early better detection would quote-unquote solve that problem. That if instead of an amnio, every pregnant woman gets a blood test, a non-invasive in the first trimester, and they got the do- diagnosis, they would terminate, and this wouldn't be a problem through the termination process. So, you know, there, there are a million things wrong with that scenario. So there were kind of two things at play, kind of one more optimistic, one more pessimistic. You know, whether you believe one or both of those scenarios leading to where we are today, I think the future is hugely optimistic. Where NIH is going with their funding to really help people with Down syndrome and, frankly, just revamping the NIH in the last few years with the, the new leadership, Dr. Francis Collins, and making it quote-unquote translational, which means science that actually helps the human being directly, which, of course, scientists have to make up a word for that, right? Um, I, I'm, being, I'm, being, I'm joking with you, of course. But, um, so I think we've come full circle. We're like, we've addressed the problem. The Down syndrome community has addressed the problem, and now it's our job to advocate for a fair share, for parity, and for the rights of our kids with Down syndrome. Well, you know, that one thing you said earlier about um, when people were not allowed to go out, mm-hmm. I mean, that isn't extremely long ago, right? No, no. Th- we're talking like the 1980s and the 1990s. I mean, Willowbrook was only dismantled in 1993. And I, I don't think we've ever gotten a public apology from the Army and the state of New York for Willowbrook. That's something maybe we can all work on together. <laughs> um, you know, where they were injecting the people in Willowbrook who had uh, intellectual disabilities, a lot of them had Down syndrome, with different diseases to come up with vaccines. You know, it's a really dark part of our history that I think, you know, I, I feel very close to Jewish people. Like, you know, you, you kind of say, the Holocaust, it'll never happen again. You know, like this uh, eugenics against our people will never happen again. Um, but you also can't be stuck there. You have to be like, okay, we're in the future. We are past that. Things are going great. We have these building blocks, but we have to put people's feet to the fire to actually fund the law. We have to put people's feet to the fire and fight them if they discriminate or break the law. And that's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. But also take a chance to be grateful for where we are because we stand on the shoulders of the human and civil rights activists of the 60s and the 70s for sure. Hey, you know, just taking a minute, we have a caller on the line uh, for you, Michelle, from Denver. Lloyd, are you on? I am. How are you, Lloyd? I'm doing great. How are you? You have a comment here for Michelle? Yeah, I have a couple of questions, if that's okay. Yes, uh, go first, right ahead. I want to say, Michelle, uh, obviously, um, as a parent of a uh, young man with Down syndrome, I really can't thank you enough for all the great work you and the foundation are doing. And thank you're making you. a tremendous difference for us, and it's just amazing work you're doing. But uh, for a number of years, I've been attending your fabulous fashion show where you feature people with Down syndrome on the stage with celebrities, and and I'd love to hear you talk more about the purpose of the fashion show and what you are accomplishing with the fashion show. Then maybe expand a little bit on the pressing issues that you see ahead for people with disabilities. Yeah, great. Hi, Lloyd. Thank you. Okay. So... um, Yeah, so the fashion show. So, Joyce, we have the Be Beautiful, Be Yourself fashion show, and uh, it features people with Down syndrome being escorted by pretty high-profile celebrities. We have um, Jamie Foxx. We've had Quincy Jones. Uh, This past year, we had Hilary Swank and Queen Latifah. We have John C. McGinley and Matt Dillon, who are both touched by Down syndrome. 
Um, we've had uh, Helen Hunt and just uh, amazing group, Alec Baldwin, um, uh, really come out and step up for um, people with Down syndrome through our fashion show. And the idea, I come from, a, I'm a cable TV baby. I grew up in the television industry. That whole marketing is like the, the thought that I had when I was pregnant, and I know this is an awful thought, is that stereotype of the person with the bad haircut, the clothes that don't fit, the you know this this idea that there there's an unattractiveness to our children with Down syndrome, without even giving them a fair chance at good hygiene and a good haircut and good clothes, and um, so I wanted to put that paradigm on its head. I was also kind of rebuffed by a retailer. Um, you know, who, who I wanted to partner with on the clothing who said, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, why would I put my clothes on your kids? <laughs> and so that just got me all worked up. Oh. And, yeah, yeah. And oh. so this idea of uh, elevating the person with Down syndrome to the status of the celebrity, to be a model and have them rock the runway, I mean, everybody, it's a standing ovation every time, every time. And they just knock it out of the park. Even the little ones that you think they're too tired, they're going to, you know, have a meltdown or, you know, they have some attention or sensory issues. They pull it together. And this is in front of 1,200 to 1,400 people. I mean, it's not a small production by any means. It is the largest single fundraiser for people with Down syndrome. Last year, we grossed about $2.2 million. And um, it's phenomenal. Anybody who can fly to Denver, November 11th this year, that's our big fashion show. But I wanted to put the paradigm on its head. You know, we always want to, like, challenge that. And I guess, you know, for me also, um, that discrimination piece is very important. I think I was born with a righteous gene. And, you know, I remember being young and being like, oh, my gosh, you know, there were slaves. And, you know, oh, my gosh, women didn't have rights. And then my brother, you know, I was like one of the first people he told uh, that he was gay. And I was like, oh, my gosh, gay people don't have rights. So when Sophia, my daughter, was born, it just expanded the spectrum of people that I feel very righteous about in terms of protecting equality and diversity. So, um, and then Lloyd asked another question about what are the pressing issues. I think, Joyce, you're, you're hitting one of the big ones. You know, um, I had mentioned protecting the rights we already have, but then ensuring, you know, down the food chain, like what, what's happening to our adults with Down syndrome as they get older? Do they have post-secondary oppor- opportunities? Do they have training opportunities? Do they have job opportunities? Are they able to live independently or semi-independently? And, you know, those are, those are tough questions for anybody who's differently abled and for their family members, you know, who want the best for them. Lloyd, uh, are you still with us? I am. What, what do you think about that? Oh, well, I think Michelle has hit the nail on the head on, on both the purpose of the fashion show and turning the paradigm upside down and just the importance of continued civil rights advocacy and really pressing for full acceptance and inclusion, it, it really, as Michelle said, is no different than what African Americans face, no different than no different than what women face face than face today, and certainly no different than what the LGBT community faces. Our community has been very much discri- discriminated against, unfortunately. Um, and you know, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. I am uh, president of the Art Thrift Stores. We have 300 employees with disabilities, and I chair a couple of disability boards. And Michelle and I are both in sync on the need for really hard hitting civil rights advocacy. I, I apologize. I'm going to lunch, but I wanted to call in. No, no, that's Thanks, quite all right. I just want to say I want to say one thing. I love it that you realize that's a civil rights issue, both of you. I love it. Michelle, did you want to say something before he goes? No, I just want to say thanks, Lloyd. You know, we work with Julie from the Colorado Cross Disabilities Coalition. I actually know Lloyd for full disclosure. And she always, I always forget to mention the fashion show when I'm talking about human and civil rights, but she always brings up that, you know, the event puts our people with Down syndrome front and center. They're not an afterthought in the fundraiser. They are the center. So, you know, I want to encourage people to do that because there's no better way of getting your message out than having the people you serve provide that message. 
Well, thank you. And, Lloyd, thank you for calling in. Yeah, thanks for doing the show, and, and thanks, Michelle, for uh, talking about our community. Thanks, Lloyd. So we have another caller on the line. I think we have, hold on a minute, Kathy. Kathy from Washington, D.C. Go ahead, Kathy. Hi. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Hi, Kathy. Thanks for calling in. Uh, Well, first of all, I want to thank you as well for all the work that you and the foundation do. Um, You know, like you just said, putting individuals with Down syndrome out you know, part of the community and including them and and really fighting for everyone to recognize them as citizens of every community. Um, but I do have a kind of it's a concern and then it goes into a question, um, which are kids with Down syndrome in public school systems. Mm. Um, you know, there's kind of, and I don't, not every school system, obviously there are some great teachers and principals who recognize the need um, to provide services for kids with Down syndrome. But there still is kind of a prevailing sense of, um, you know, let's just push them through the system. And I don't know if that's part of the no child left behind mentality, um, but there seems to be a real struggle um, with getting kids with Down syndrome, the proper resources, whether it's through the school therapies or even the academics. And I don't know, you know, how, say, a family would go about addressing that within their own school system. Okay. So, yeah, so that's a big question. I think in the education, the public school education scenario, it's so tough um, you know, I know because I go on IEPs and I sometimes help parents in great need, you know, when it's hit kind of a, a, a crucial turning point where their kid essentially is getting kicked out of a school. Um, and what's so difficult is really the mentality. And what, what I see, Kathy, is this kind of overriding mentality. Like our public school system is so broken for typical kids, how, why, why should I waste my time on your kids? I can't even get it right for typical kids. So there is that kind of prevailing other, you know, like you're a second-class citizen and the first-class citizens yeah. are already having issues. How, why would I even spend time on that? So I do right. think we need to do a better job of mobilizing ourselves and think about it. It's not just kids with Down syndrome. It's Every kid on an IEP, that's how I look at it at at any rate. An individualized education plan means that the parents have agreed and self-identified that child as having some challenge. It could be ADHD, it could be dyslexia, it could be Down syndrome, it could be a lot of different things. It could be behavioral. And um, when you look at the average in public schools, there are 12% of our kiddos are on IEP. That is a huge number. We are not a small number. And that is expected to grow to 15% by 2025. So I think, you know, understanding how we might be able to mobilize in a very difficult changing landscape where the schools are taxed, the teachers are taxed, because it seems every administration, you know, changes and says, now we're going to do this and now we're going to do that. So how do we acknowledge the burden they have overall and give them the tools that they need and perhaps even the funding that they need? Uh, I don't know that it's ever been articulated, Kathy. I hear this all the time. Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, right? It's only funded at 17% of what it was originally started for. Well, that was like decades ago, right? That was like in the 70s. Has anybody done an audit and said, how much would it cost today? How much is being funded of that? And how do we bridge the gap? So I think kind of putting a little bit of those business principles and then some real grassroots advocacy leadership may help but I, I ask this question because we don't focus on education. You know, we, we focus on research and medical care. Who is going to take that issue 
Who's going to take the leadership role? Who's going to make the difference over the next 10 to 20 years and dedicate their life and resources and work towards that? Um, but I do think that the hope out there is that we're a much bigger community when you look at it in the scope of special needs. Um, so, Kathy, do you have any ideas? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it really, you know, it's, it's, as you said, how do you change that mentality? I mean, I, the, found, the Global Down Syndrome Foundation does a wonderful job, um, you know, of kind of getting information out. Um, but I feel like how do we get it on the local levels at the school system level? Um, and, you know, I just feel like there are so many families that struggle um, with the existing system to get their children what they need. Um, and so I, I, you know, how do we do it? Well, you know what, you are, you are both bringing up a great point. And if I just may make a suggestion here, the power of a vote is very, very, very strong, but you know, whether you're at the local, the state level, we've got to get out because I agree with both of you and I agree what, with what uh, Michelle said, that no one's even following this and seeing what's happened. And, you know, I know this show is heard nationally, so I have a special request out to the new Secretary of Education that do not do, do, not do anything to damage the IEPs. You know, we already are behind the eight ball. We need to move forward. And anyone listening to the show, you need to speak up. You know, Tony Quello, my mentor, who wrote the Americans with Disabilities Act, years ago he told me, when you get the chance to take the podium, speak up. All of you, everyone listening, you've got to talk about this. You've got to speak up. Well, Joyce, Just a comment on yeah, this yeah. would be great Thank if somebody you. could step forward. That would be fabulous. Well, well yeah. maybe that someone will be me. <laughs> <laughs> maybe well, the someone, whoever the someone is, whoever it is, I can tell you I'm the past chair of the American Association of People with Disabilities, and I will connect you because this is so important. It's so important. Uh, as I said before, you know, here we are, 70% of people with disabilities are not even counted in the workforce. And of that group, people with intellectual disabilities are frequently not even thought of. And, you know, every person deserves a job. Everyone. So, you know, I hope you will listen to these two uh, I call them civil rights leaders, and really make something happen. Speak up. Speak to your state, local. You've got to speak up. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Joyce, and thank you, Michelle. Hey, thank thank you for calling in. Um, Let me see here. Okay. You're very popular, Michelle, because we have another caller on the line, although I love this because the more energy we can generate, the more we can get done. So, Bob, are you on? Hello? Bob from New Jersey? Yes, how are you? I'm good. This is Joyce Bender. But we have Michelle on the line. Did you have a question or a comment for her? I have a couple things. Uh, Go right ahead. First, I've... I've <clears throat> excuse me. First, I've witnessed firsthand the... Uh, the fashion show, which is just brilliant, brilliant, with all these celebrities. And when I say celebrities, I'm talking about the young individuals with Down syndrome that are going to become our our self-advocates of the future. Uh, Stop stop right there. Very good point. That's a very good point, becoming their own advocate. Go ahead. Sorry for the interruption. Go ahead. As as far as uh, school systems. Um, I agree old Harley with Michelle. It's, it's a broken system, but, um, I have a 28 year old <coughs> that we, we actually go to the college level and are educating these special ed majors, our special ed teachers of the future about IEPs and the do's and don'ts of what parents expect with special needs in the community. 
Um, so we're educating the educators as well as the students at local colleges um, to inform them on what they need to do to get on board and, and stop this broken system that we have to, uh, to help educate and, and supply them with the needs that they need to take care of all of our kids uh, moving forward. Uh, with that being Thanks, said Chris. about having an older child, I would like to, uh, to ask Michelle about her research on uh, Alzheimer's because I understand there's a, uh, a major connection and I would like to her to speak on that um, because that is a concern of a lot of older individuals with Down syndrome. Great. Thanks, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that actually was one of my questions. And guess who I uh, was with when the question was asked? Tim Shriver. So please feel free to elaborate on that, Michelle. Absolutely. You know, first of all, I I just want to thank Bob for bringing up a different way to, you know, fix the school school situation, which is to train the trainer. I think that's great. You know, the fact that he's doing that in New Jersey and that we could all, you know, be doing that at our universities that are near us um, that have special uh, ed teacher training programs, I would even go a step farther and say we need to train the regular ed teachers to accept and understand how to teach our kids at least the basics because there's a lot of them that throw up their hands and say, I didn't go to school for this. That's it. That's not my kid. That's your kid. So anyway, I just wanted to throw that in there. But um, Alzheimer's, yeah, so it, it always sounds so much more complicated than it is. Um, and the what you hear from scientists a lot is that uh, all people with Down syndrome have the quote-unquote brain pathology of a typical person with Alzheimer's. Okay, so when I think, excuse uh, me, what do they what yeah. do they mean by that, Michelle? Yeah, exactly. Because then it then it gets translated into everybody with Down syndrome has Alzheimer's. Right. So, let, let's put that on the shelf and say, not really, okay? But we will say that um, when they say the brain pathology, it means the plaques and tangles, like what your brain looks like when you have Alzheimer's, if you're a typical person. And so it is true uh, from all the studies they've done heretofore, they still need to get, I think, a lot more people into studies, that by the time a person with Down syndrome is in their 40s or 50s, um, they are having those plaques and tangles in their brain. So they have the quote-unquote brain pathology. Um, and that's alarming. You know, that's 100%. That's alarming. Um, but they, there's a lot to be done because it appears that about 30% of those people with Down syndrome do not get dementia. So when I think of Alzheimer's, I think of the symptoms of Alzheimer's. I don't think of the brain pathology. I think, oh, my gosh, they lose their memory. They lose functionality and cognition and all that. Those are symptoms. And so while it's a tragedy that 70% of our kiddos will grow up or are are already growing up and are getting Alzheimer's, including what I consider Alzheimer's, those symptoms, the, the dementia, there are about 30% protected. So studying why um, they are protected, you know, even though they have the plaques and tangles and how that could help people with Down syndrome not to get Alzheimer's as well as uh, typical people not to get Alzheimer's is very important. The lead, and I'm happy and proud to say that we are funding the leaders in Alzheimer's and Down syndrome research at the Cernic Institute for Down syndrome at Anschutz Medical Campus. And then the Cernic Institute has then co-funded the Rocky Mountain Alzheimer's Disease Center. So we have Dr. Huntington Potter there, and he discovered in the, uh, I guess maybe a couple of decades ago now, he discovered the mechanistic relationship between Down syndrome and Alzheimer's. So we're looking at this we're studying it. We have just received, I mean, Dr. Potter, of course, has received uh, the Part the Cloud grant from the Alzheimer's Association, which looks at something that can go into clinical studies. It's uh, called Leukine, 
Um, it's a discovery that him and his uh, lab discovered in terms of the potential to treat Alzheimer's, and they just started rolling out their clinical trials a couple of months ago, and then they'll revisit those trials at the end of two years, and if the results look good, um, we'll get another $3 million from the Alzheimer's Association. And, of course, we, ha- we do have NIH funding for our Alzheimer's research, uh, other funding from our Alzheimer's research, but clearly there are no two populations more motivated, <laughs> the Down syndrome population and the typical people who have Alzheimer's to curing this terrible disease of Alzheimer's. And so we're working very hard on it and we're trying to raise more funds. Um, Unfortunately, the way a lot of grants work is you already have to have proof, proof of concept before you get a big NIH or other grant. So we really need a philanthropist to give us the seed money um, to get a year or two under our belt of uh, data. How, and excuse me, just, excuse me, John, excuse me, just one minute and then please you know, continue on. I just wanted to ask you one thing, Michelle. You know, my mother uh, passed away about four years ago and she did have Alzheimer's uh, and she was uh, 88. But <clears throat> because of advancements in medication, she lived with this for over eight years and really did not get to the place where, you know, she didn't know me, et cetera, until the end. My question for you is, are people with Down syndrome being treated equal to people without Down syndrome that have Alzheimer's with medication? I would say absolutely not. This is our problem with all things. Like, you know, it's called an exclusion criteria. So you look at there's elevated leukemia in kids with Down syndrome, and all these leukemia studies don't include kids with Down syndrome. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's, I'm sorry. It's just not right. And so um, we, we really need to address that. The other thing is, you know, and I think Bob uh, on the phone who has a 28-year-old, uh, and I have a 13-year-old, when you look down the pipe, we'll be the first generation of parents to outlive our children. And it scares, the, it scares us to no end. Um, you know, because of deinstitutionalization and providing the semblance of any basic medical care to our kiddos, they're now living long enough for us to see that. So this is also a new generation uh, in terms of how they get treated in their old age. Having said that, unfortunately, when you look at the IDD or differently abled population, it doesn't appear that they are treated very well in their older age. Now, it's up to us to change that before our kids get to that age. Uh, the, the situation doesn't look great now, Joyce. That's not Michelle, good. John, how, how John, go get, ahead, please. How can we get the, the, um, the word out or the website to get the philanthropist to help generate some funds to, to help our, our adults? I think that's a great idea. And, and you know, I, I have to say, I come from the for-profit, not the non-profit. So this, like, hand-in-hat fundraising has been very challenging for me. Um, but I'm open to any kind of ideas. You know, we could create a section on our website that highlights the different kind of research we do and allows people to, um, you know, say, I want to fund that kind of research. Um, there are a lot of things we can, we can send out flyers. We can, there's a lot of things we could do. So, you know, Bob, as a person on the ground in New Jersey, any ideas that you have, you know, we'd love to do it uh, with the caveat that, you know, we're 12 people doing a lot of things. <laughs> and oh, you know, so like, how, how, do, how do we do it like low calorie maximum impact um, and, uh, in, in a way also, because I know I, we're always told this by our financial department, it's like general operating, general operating, <laughs> you know, like in a way it's just easier um, to get to general operating than allocate it to whatever is the biggest need. And the more you then segment it to this or that or the other thing, then it's, you know, harder to account for and you have to hold the funds for it. And, but um, we're open to anything that really makes 2 plus 2 equal 10. That's kind of what we're after. Now, will it help if we go to our local uh, congressmen and local politicians 
to um, ask for support from government for funding? Will that help if, if families? That, yes, all of that helps. And then one thing we're struggling with is our petition. We have a petition. Again, we're, it's like grassroots advocacy. It's so difficult. And, you know, all we need is 5,000 signatures. And we put it out organically. To, to be fair, we haven't, like, you know, I haven't done it a letter writing campaign. We just put it out there and we only have 3000 plus signatures. And it's basically saying that people who signed the petition believe that there should be more research dollars allocated to benefit people with Down syndrome. And um, we would like to get to 5000 and present that petition to the head of the NIH, to certain um, congressional representatives and house, rep- uh, house and Senate representatives. And, um, to the White House. So we would how, love to how can do I that. Get, how can I get my local people to sign that petition? Um, I will send uh, our, uh, uh, Taylor, our, our gal who's in charge of the petition, uh, can send to you um, all the information about the petition. That would be hugely helpful. I'm assuming okay. you work with uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers. Yes. yes. So we, we um, are so grateful for the leadership of, um, you know, Congresswoman McMorris-Rogers, especially on the science. I mean, she really gets it. You know, we talk about therapeutic leverage, and if we study people with Down syndrome, we'll not only help them, but millions suffering from Alzheimer's. The reverse is true, too. It's, it's extraordinarily rare for a person with Down syndrome to have a solid tumor cancer. And we have one of the best cancer researchers in the world, Dr. Wakina Spinoza, who leads up our science at Cernic Institute, who's made several breakthroughs um, and actually has discovered that you can look at Down syndrome uh, as an immune system disorder. And that's the first time anybody's really ever said that and, um, you know, really proceeded down that path. So the science is looking so hopeful and so wonderful um, to truly benefit uh, people with Down syndrome. You know, it's not like this pie in the sky. We're not trying to, like, cure them. We're not trying to get rid of them. We're actually saying, gee, if this happened, their immune system would be better, and then they wouldn't get sleep apnea, and then they would have better cognition during the day because they're sleeping. You know, it's, it's just fascinating because where one thing ends and another begins is very blurry when it comes to medical care, right? Well, you know what? I am going to help you with this. Thank you. Because I think I can connect you with some groups where you can definitely get all those signatures and where, where we right. can help you. Uh, you know, it's like I have epilepsy, and I always say, if you've met one person with epilepsy, you've met one person with epilepsy. Same with Down syndrome. If you've met one yeah, person like with Down syndrome, you've met one person with Down syndrome. In other words, you know, don't categorize. Don't say we're all the same because we're not all the same. Um, and so, you know, I am on board, 100% uh, on board. And also, John, thank you for calling in. Thanks, no Bob. problem. I, can Bob, I say one sorry, more? Bob. Can Thank you for calling thing? in. Okay. Do we have another caller on the line, Aaron? Yes or no? Okay. We do. John, are you on the line? Hi. This is John from Fairfax, Virginia. Hello, John. How are you today? Really good. Hi, Michelle. Uh, good to good to speak to you even this Hi, way. Hi, Thank you for calling. You bet. You bet. I, I, while, um, while Bob was talking, and I'm pretty certain I know which Bob that is and, and who his 28-year-old is as well, and I, what I wanted to say was it, it, as often as we can, uh, wherever we can, um, we should be making the lead spokespeople um, individuals with uh, Down syndrome. Uh, mm-hmm. My son, uh, Frank, who Michelle knows well, uh, it's, yeah. it's a shame that he is exactly where he should be right now at work. Uh, it's not a shame he's at work, but it's a shame that he's not speaking because he's a way better advocate for these things mm-hmm. than I am. But uh, just as, as uh, Bob and Brad have uh, attacked uh, the colleges and universities uh, of education, um, Frank has made it uh, his... Uh, his charge in life to try to speak to uh, schools for medical professionals 
Um, because the the story you heard Michelle describe uh, about getting the diagnosis, um, notwithstanding the fact that everything, absolutely everything about Down syndrome has changed over the last generation and changed positively, you would think when you hear um, a Down syndrome diagnosis uh, from a doctor, you would think it was 1950. Uh, and it's the oddest thing in the world that they know, they seem to know so little about how life has improved. It, it, they, um, Frank gives speeches all over the country to all kinds of people about the fact that in just a generation, we've gone, you know, from uh, institutions to inspiration. Uh, and it, his life has been huge. And he knows he's not unique. He has... Uh, he has all kinds of role models uh, that uh, Michelle knows well. Um, and wherever we can, we should put uh, people with Down syndrome front and center and let them go try and get the signatures. Get Whatever needs to be done, let's put them out front. Absolutely. And, you know, I think Frank is such an excellent role model, John, uh, he he is so articulate and funny. His delivery of his speeches are really second to none. And again, educating the educator, you know, the the medical care professionals. I think that people don't really. If you're not in our community and you're not um, active in our community, you don't know what goes on day to day. I mean. Today, I'm not talking yesterday, I'm not talking 1980s. Today, we still have emergency room situations where a emergency room medical care provider sees a person with Down syndrome and puts DNR on a sticky on their body. Do not resuscitate. Ah. You know, right? So, so, again, today, we still have people going to their doctors at any age having an ailment, and the doctor saying, oh, that's just Down syndrome, bad stomach pain. Excuse me one minute, Michelle. You must work with my friends at Not Dead Yet. You've (laughs) got to work. Because, no, this is what it's all about. People with disabilities are frequently, frequently a family member will say, there's no hope, you know, you shouldn't let them live, uh, do not recess, everything you're saying. Um, yeah. And there, this is probably a bigger group that that happens to. Yeah. The second is people with quadriplegia. Uh, but I just wanted to mention that. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we do need to get those self-advocates out there. Um, there's, and we need to educate them on how to be social, frankly speaking. Um, you know, one of the great um, programs that I've seen that Libby Cuman does, you know, at Loyola, and, and we're kind of copying here in Denver, are getting the adults together, uh, having them work through scenarios, whether that's like job training scenarios, job interviewing scenarios, um, party planning, um, vacation planning, all all those kinds of things that translate into so many other areas. Um, Not all of our adults, John, are on Facebook or have their own email account, for example. So if you're doing a social media petition campaign, how does the young adult or the older adult with Down syndrome participate? That's a challenge, right? Um, you know, here locally, we're going to some city town centers with adults with Down syndrome and having them knock door to door, you know, for the petition. That's a great experience for anybody, really, you know, especially in such a politicized period of time, right? Um, you know, get out there and, and advocate for what you believe in. So I think maybe we can think together, John, about how Frank can help other people with Down syndrome to get the word out, like, what, what do we need to do? Um, you know, again, there, there seems to be some certain challenges, but nothing that, I mean, K through 12 education, I, I have to pass out because I'm just, <laughs> how, do you, how do you, like, crack that nut? But, you know, getting people with da- adults with Down syndrome to get out and advocate for themselves seems much more doable. Maybe we can work on that together. 
Sounds great. I, I, I do think that you've, you've pointed up something that is a problem for everyone who works in the uh, community, uh, whether it's Down syndrome or intellectual disabilities of any kind. There is no reliable census uh, of people with uh, intellectual disabilities, which I, I find odd given that um, it, it, we haven't translated what we know about the school-age population uh, to adults. Um, right. the, the schools can tell you pretty well who their population is and what their disabilities are and the like up through um, 18 for some school systems that haven't heard they're responsible until they're 22 and 22 for others. But then very largely in most states, they simply drop off the map if they or some advocate for them doesn't get them enrolled in some kind of public services. There is no reliable census that I know of anywhere. Yeah, and also I think each state has a, a waiting list for adults you know, who are differently abled or have IDD who are waiting for services. And I know our state, I think we were like 48 out of 50 states in Colorado. And, you know, the governor, John Hickenlooper, has really tried to allocate funding every year over the next few years to put a dent in that. But, you know, it it kind of unravels because so many people know, well, if there's a 20-year waiting list, I'm not putting my adult on the list. And then the list kind of just stays stagnant. And then when the list starts moving, a whole bunch more people sign <laughs> up. So, again, I think that, that that whole, what you say, the census, like, you know, who are they? You know, what do we need? Going back, whether it's IDEA, if it's only funded at 17%, and they keep saying that, well, who is then auditing and saying, how big is the bread basket? This is how much money we need right now today to fund IDEA. And it's not actually 17% that's being funded, it's 2% or, or whatever that, that, or maybe it's more, maybe 20%, maybe it's, it's, it's gotten better. Um, and the same thing in terms of the adult activity, you know, uh, how many uh, people are there uh, and where, what are their needs and, you know, have we done an audit? You know, we have these services state by state, but have they really understood what services are needed have they audited that, and then have they said how much are they funding of it, and how much should they fund? You know, because every state's going to be different. Yeah, well, listen. Thank you. Thank you so much. You bet. Uh, for calling in, keep fighting the fight. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Say hi to Frank. Okay. <laughs> I will. I will, Michelle. Okay. Thank you, um, Michelle. Of yes. Over fifteen years, you win the prize. Even when I had someone on from the White House. During the Obama time, you win the prize for most call-ins. Okay, that's great. <laughs> I knew most of them, so it's like, but it's so nice that they actually paid attention. It was very sweet of them. Yes, so it, it nice. is. Yes. I have yeah. something I want to do right now because I mm-hmm. think it's so important. Two things, actually. First, Michelle, we have to have you back on in the fall before that November event you talked about. Yes, that would be great. You know, to, to, to make sure people to make yeah. sure people donate money for that. Which brings me to my next point I wanted to make. I think if you've been listening to this show, you see the passion of parents with a child with Down syndrome, which is why I always say, give me the parent of a child with a disability and look out, because we will be breaking down doors for employment. Uh, but to do those things, guess what? You need resources. So, uh, Michelle, if someone wants to make a donation, uh, how do they do that? Thank you for asking that. That's so important. It's um, Really, our website is the best way. You go to www.globaldownsyndrome.org. Uh, you press any of the donate buttons, and you can donate. You can do it in honor of somebody, in memory of somebody. You know, it's the usual. I mean, 
we, I, we feel our work is so important. We also support Special Olympics. We also support ARC. We also support, we should all be supporting each other. You know, um, everybody's work is cumulative. And I really believe, you know, all boats rise. You know, if all the pieces, if the medical piece is working, if the science piece is working, if the education piece is working. So I think we should all be cross-pollinating and helping each other. And eventually, I, coming to the table and making some stuff happen. Yeah. Yeah, so. and listen, again, remember, make mm-hmm. a contribution. Um, I wanted to tell you, if you know a parent of a child with Down syndrome, remember, this show is archived on my website at BenderConsult.com and at VoiceAmerica.com, both places. So if you know someone and you think, wow, I wish they would have heard this, they can hear it, just have them go to my website or Voice America and they can hear this show with Michelle. And you can help by having other people listen so they too will make a donation. So, Michelle, thank you so much. This was a powerful uh, energetic show, my kind of show. What message would you like to leave with our listeners today? Well, first, I have to thank you, Joyce. This is amazing for us to be able to get this message out there. Uh, and the message I'd like to leave us with is that we are more alike than different, and we're better together than apart. I mean, it sounds very cliche, but it's, it's so true. Oh, no, it doesn't, because one of my favorite quotes is from the great uh, advocate for people with autism, Temple Grandin, who says, I am different, not less. And isn't that the truth? I am different, not less. Um, And one more time before we go, where do they make a contribution, Michelle? Thank you. www.globaldownsyndrome.org. All one word, globaldownsyndrome.org globaldownsyndrome.org. So you know what that means, no matter where you are hearing this, whether you're in the United States or in another country, globaldownsyndrome.org. This is Joyce Bender, and we end every show with a quote. And today that quote is, when you judge another, you do not define them, you define yourself said Wayne Dyer. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you all next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.